the blast from our past network. Supernatural, Halloween, exploitation, slashers, and everything in between. Welcome to the Podcasting After Dark Watch List, the show where a guest chooses a topic and the hosts, along with the guest, discuss their top five favorites. Light a candle, hide your Ouija board, and enjoy the Podcasting After Dark Watch List. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Podcasting After Dark Presents Watchlist. I am one half of the Podcasting After Dark team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. (laughs) This week on this exciting episode, I am joined by an amazing person. We have director, filmmaker, podcaster, Mike Petchy. What's up, my man? What's happening, dude? Uh, Thank you for that enthusiastic uh, inter- uh, introduction, because at this point I'm a uh, film director, podcaster, not wearing any pants, Mike Petchy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, I'm right there with you, my man, because I ain't wearing no pants either. Nice, <laughs> nice. I do like your Skynet T-shirt. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Plugging my my free swag these days. So it's good. <laughs> there you go. So well, before we jump into the episode and before you intro uh, what what we're doing here on the watch list. Give us a little background on yourself, uh, mm-hmm. your podcast, your movies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, in a nutshell, I've been directing, oh Jesus, I've been directing for almost 20 years. I've been directing uh, music videos, films, commercials, and uh, I've done a bunch of uh, short films that uh, are now being developed as features. So uh, it takes that fucking long <laughs> to get this stuff up and running. Um, but I also run a podcast called um, uh, In Love With The Process, and I started that a few years ago um, to just sort of give like real insight into what it's like to try to attempt to be an artist, to try to attempt to be a career filmmaker, how long that runs, and then really give honest insight into the type of life that you can expect to live. Um, Like, because I would get questions from fans that like, how do you do your fucking taxes? You know, like stupid shit like that. Uh, uh, hey, Mike, how do you do your taxes? By the way? I don't know. <laughs> and that's not a joke. <laughs> so, you know, like that kind of stuff. I just get emails every week and it just got to a point where I'm like, look, it'll be a lot easier if I did a podcast. And, and then that was four years ago. And since then, the show has just gotten bigger and better. I recently, right before fucking COVID, I ended up moving out here to Los Angeles like four months before COVID. Because wow. uh, uh, one of the films is in uh, uh, production right now, which is really great. Um, but then uh, moving out here to Los Angeles has been really good for the podcast because I get a lot of really great guests, a lot of people from the industry. And now the new move is as I start to make a film, as this film goes into production, I'm going to give the audience ultimately the access to what it's like to be a quote unquote first time, first time director um, and making your first film. So. It's going to be, uh, uh, hopefully, I just got my goddamn, uh, my uh, fucking COVID shot. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, we start doing our shit in the fall. So, we'll see, man. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what genre is this film uh, going to be in? Uh, I play in the horror genre. So, I either do sci-fi horror or this is more traditional horror. Um, so, I've got two proof of concepts. So, this is based on one of them. I did a proof of concept called Who's There? So, it's a film called Who's There? 
Um, and the only way you can see these films, by the way, is if you write to me on Instagram and send me your three favorite horror movies. If I agree with you, you might get a link. Um, but I did a movie called Who's There? Uh, essentially uh, circles around this family who is haunted by this creature that uh, comes knocking on the door. And if you answer the door, you're taken. And so there's this big issue with that. Uh, and then I did another proof of concept called 12 Kilometers about a Russian drill team in the 1980s that dug the deepest hole known to man in the Kola Peninsula. And um, I made a 30 minute proof of concept on that, which is also being developed. I wish I could say by who. I'm not allowed to say by who. <laughs> Uh, well, well, that was a lot more information than I than I was expecting. I, I thought you were going to be much more vague than that. I uh, probably to my detriment. I'm not as vague as I should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, where did you where did you say you came from originally before you moved to LA? Where did where did you go to film school? Uh, so I'm an East Coast kid. So I was yep. born and raised in uh, basically developed my entire career in Boston. I went to film okay. school in New York for a brief period of time, um, and then learned <laughs> I learned quickly that uh, I'd be more better off shooting my movies and doing my stuff in a city that I had access to. So I ended up going back to my hometown and starting up a company and uh, we started doing music videos. So we did music videos for like Meshuggah, Kill Switch Engage, like uh, some uh, Wu-Tang, like uh, Zarface. Uh, so all that stuff for years while sort of just building the, um, the knowledge and the arsenal that I needed to start to make these movies. Um, and then, uh, after I can't, I can't believe you got to LA like freaking four months before everything shut down, dude. dude. Did you get a chance to like do anything fun before all that no, happened? No, dude. I did like two gigs out here. Uh, went around to a couple, like, it's so funny. The day before official lockdown, we were out drinking. Like, I actually went on a what I call a bar safari through Los Angeles. So we, <laughs> we did that hard and then we got locked down and. Uh, I was just doing a podcast with a couple dudes from the East Coast, and they're like, you still sound like an East Coaster. I go, yeah, it's because I've been locked in a fucking house. I haven't had the opportunity <laughs> to be an L.A. douchebag yet. I really haven't. <laughs> I had the point. So, uh, yeah, man, it's, I, I mean, I dig it. Los Angeles is kind of weird right now. It's like a, it's like a strange John Carpenter movie with uh, all the homeless and all the fucking crazy shit, but... Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. I, I mean, my wife and I moved away from there about, I guess, two years ago now. Um, so we got it there. We got out of there like six months before everything shut down, essentially. But yeah. my co-host, Zach, is still there. Luckily, he's in Santa Monica. That seems to be a bit more away from things. But I used to live in downtown L.A. Um, <laughs> probably about 12 years ago, right when it was just exploding in its awesomeness. And it was like the perfect time to live there and i i hear now that it's almost like reverted back to what it was yeah. before it blew up and i'm like wow what a shame that's there's going to be just so many condos and so many buildings are just going to be vacant downtown because it was booming but one thing i miss more than anything about la and one of the things i loved more than anything when i was in la was all the different movie theaters, all the different ways to see older movies that I had never seen in the theater but grew up loving. Uh, Zach and I talk a lot about our time spent at the Egyptian, our mm -hmm. time spent at the New Beverly, um, you know, and, and a couple notable experiences. I always forget the name of the theater that's in downtown LA, the, the two-story one, um, and it's, I think Blade Runner was shot there. Oh, the old school one. Yeah, super old, beautifully ornate on the inside. I know, and it's just like right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, 
today's podcast that we release because we release on Tuesdays. Today's podcast is with the Secret Movie Club out here in Los Angeles. I was just I was just listening to that episode right before uh, right before we started talking. Um, but so two two experiences there. One was seeing Tron mm-hmm. at that theater, the one downtown. We were on the the balcony, the mezzanine section, and I had never seen the theater, but I'm a huge Tron fan, and I realized like how good when they go into the maze and on the light cycles and when they go into first person mode for a split second, you know, on the big screen in like 2015, it was still exhilarating. It was still amazing to see. Yeah. And then, uh, seeing, uh, Prince of darkness at the church that they filmed it at. That is now (laughs) a, I believe it's now a, a theater, um, and we saw Prince of Darkness there, and that was just unreal. And of course, there's so many times, there's so many awesome movies at the Egyptian, like seeing the 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 cabal cut of Nightbreed at the Egyptian, Fuck stuff yeah. like. I mean, these are amazing things, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. That, that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. And like I said, I got nerdy with those dudes from the Secret Movie Club because uh, we're just one of the, the 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 coolest parts about coming out here. And I remember. Uh, when we were out here for the first couple months, I was just sort of digging through like what midnight screenings were happening. And they had uh, a screening of um, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase there. And oh, my God. And you're just like, oh, fuck. This is the cool part about being in Los Angeles is that yeah. you can expect to go to the theater and potentially see Chevy Chase at the theater. So, uh, I, I'm, dude, it's one of the reasons why I got vaccinated really quick is that I cannot wait to get back out there and see movies. Like I'm bummed that I can't go see Godzilla versus Kong in the theater yet. Um, there, there's can't just wait for that. Dude. Was it Adam Wingard is doing that one, isn't he? Yeah. And he's killing yeah. right now, man. He's killing. Are, are you a fan of the guest? Yeah. The guest is great. Uh, he's, he's just, I was just looking at his career the other night and seeing his path since like 2007. And uh, he deserves what he's getting right now, man. You know, he just, there was a press release yesterday that he's now directing the new Thundercats movie. And Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah. He's doing Thundercats and then he's doing the sequel to fucking Face Off. He's doing a okay, sequel I to Face Off. Okay, I did hear Off. about that. I heard he was doing that one. I didn't hear about the Thundercats one. Yeah, man. So, like, my buddy, I, I, I can't talk about it, but I, I, I know some inside <laughs> stuff on that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool shit, man. Pretty cool. Nice, dude. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I do hope that you get a chance to get to some of these famous theaters. I do hope that, you know, I hope that they go come back, you know, to, to the way they were before. I hope that we didn't lose any. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what happened. I don't keep up with it, but I hope we didn't lose any theaters in L.A. Um, I loved the Hollywood Cemetery screenings were, were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't been to one of those, not yet. I highly recommend. Yeah, dude, those those are awesome. Uh, and also going to the uh, Day of the Dead. Um, a celebration there every uh, November 1st is amazing too my my wife is Latina and she'd be so mad that I didn't call it by its proper name and uh, because I would bu- I butcher it I suck at it so <laughs> but there's so many things to do in LA man and I, I miss that immensely but I'm like you I love the movies I love going to the theater yeah. and man I, I miss that so much I mean I'm grateful that we all basically live in a time where we all have giant TVs now I mean they're so sure. cheap you know but Nothing compares to that film-going experience. And I, before we jump into our watch list, this is probably like our biggest biggest lead-up. Sure. But I know you're also a, a child of the '80s in the late uh, late '80s, early '90s. When were you born? Just out of curiosity. Seventy-eight. So I was oh, born in seventy-eight. Where are we? Are we born the same year? 
Right. Well, yep, I am February 15th, 1978. All right, so what am I, July? So, uh, yeah, so that that's great, because then, unlike most people that I have on my show, you'll get all my references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you remember, like, like you know, going to the film movies back in the 80s, what, what like, caused you to fall in love with films like that? For, and just to let you know, for me, it was like my dad was taking me to RoboCop yeah. and Aliens at a horribly young age, horribly inappropriate <laughs> age, but because of it, I had now have a strong love for rated R sci-fi, you know, mm-hmm. so, and mm-hmm. it's thanks to my dad, you know, and ultimately my dad just wanted someone to go see the movies with, so he's like, hey, I produced a little person, why don't I take him? <laughs> Inappropriately, but hey. <laughs> well, I mean, it was very similar for me, my, my, so my dad's actually very, he's a very gentle soul, so his favorite movie is like The Wizard of Oz, which I fucking hate that movie, so I never, I never sit to watch those movies with him. For me, it was always my mom. My mom was always obsessed with like John McClane and Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, and and so she ended up dragging me out, dragging, she ended up taking me out to see all the action stuff that I really fell in love with, um, and it wasn't, I've, this is, I've told the story a bunch, for me, it wasn't until much later in my late teens that I really got into horror horror because there was a, I was such a shitty student when I was a kid that my parents just were like, your grades suck, you're grounded, you're not allowed to watch TV. And so I, I literally was grounded for about four and a half years. <laughs> so there was this big lull in there where as soon as I graduated high school, I'm like, I'm just watching fucking movies. So I ended up just sitting down and plowing through uh, like VHS rentals for weeks. So, um, but prior to that, it was mostly just action. I was a big Indiana Jones nut. Um, you know, like John McClane was my idol as a kid. I always wanted to be Bruce Willis, you know? And like, I always thought that when you got older, you'd, you'd find a, <laughs> you'd find a girlfriend and then she'd die in a boating accident and then you'd be all upset about it and then turn to alcohol. And that was like a regular way of life. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I fantasized. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the, yeah, the old cop life where you, you, you've seen too much and you know, yeah, you're, you're on your the, you're on the fucking couch, smoking a cigarette, and your dog's pissed. And you got a gun in your hand. I fantasized about that when I was like 15 (laughs) years old. It's like at some point during the night, three helicopters are going to come over the ocean, start shooting up the house. It's part of my life. You know, it's what I thought it was going to happen. I I assume you're also probably a big Lethal Weapon fan as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love all that stuff, man. And, you know, it's it's funny being a filmmaker now and being someone that's directing stuff now. And I'm, I'm constantly going back to those movies not because I think those movies are better. I just, I've come to acknowledge the fact that that was the, that's the age that I felt something. So when you're talking like 13, 14, and you see, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, and you're just genuinely fucking scared. And like, I go to bed and I'm checking the wall behind my bed to make sure it's not made of rubber. You know what I mean? Like that stuff really affected me. And so I find myself as I make films to try to bring myself back to that period and go, what is it that made me fucking freaked out about this? And what about the language of cinema were they using to instill this fear into me? And and so I'm constantly pissing the people off that I work with because I'm like sending them references. I'm like, hey, just watch this fucking scene from Jurassic Park real quick. Or just watch the scene from like the first Lethal Weapon real quick and you'll get what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. So you want to have the same... Uh, um speak the same language as, as somebody and if they haven't seen it you know you want to be able to impart it um, yeah. it's it's interesting my co-host Zach 
he's was kind of like you where it was his mom that took him to see a lot of these kind of films uh whereas my my mom is more like your dad which her <laughs> types of movies are hallmark films and she's always trying to be like hey i watched this movie and i'm like I- I've literally never heard of it. Like, and I'm never going to watch it. I'm sorry, mom. But uh, she likes Star Wars, which is that that's great. We our, our thing now is kind of to see, or at least it was, to see the Star Wars movies in the theater when they were coming out with like Rogue One and everything. Um, but mom and I never connected that well with movies. But my dad, that's kind of like our main connection and is films. And even to today, Kind of like the only thing we sort of, or the main thing we talk, sort of talk about whenever we talk on the phone is like, hey, what'd you watch recently and stuff like that. And uh, I can't keep up anymore because he's retired. So all he does is consume uh, media. And as you know, uh, as someone who produces media, I have very little bit of time to actually consume media. Oh, yeah. If it's not for something that we're reviewing on the show or, or whatever. So, uh, I, I, but I am, you know, going to set aside time for the big tent pole stuff like Godzilla versus King Kong and. Uh, and yeah. Dune, I'm looking forward forward to Dune. Dude, I'm really excited about that one. Godzilla versus Kong, Dune, uh, the new James Bond, and Top Gun. So like those four. And the Mortal Kombat reboot. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm into that. I'm into that. I'm. I'm, not... I'm just a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Yeah, I like Mortal Kombat. I'm into it. I don't have anything bad to say. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's gonna be cool. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Uh, I, I I'm pumped about Godzilla versus Kong. I've heard I've heard really great things. So um, yeah, I think it it opened in China or somewhere and did gangbusters money. So uh, that's good. I'm, just, I'm happy I'm, for I'm, that. I think finally they have figured it out. Like people want to go see fucking monsters fight. They don't want to see people <laughs> watch monsters fight. They want to see fucking monsters fight. So it's like I get it. I get how clever you guys want to be by hiding the camera behind people and like turning it to a little kid and going, "Wow, it's scary." Fuck that. Put the cameras up and let me see. <laughs> Them clash. And I know it costs a lot of money, but spend that $300 million on that. Get rid of the actors and just have them fucking fight. That's what I want. Yeah, dude. I, I feel like I feel like ever since Pacific Rim, we got to that point. Like, I feel like Guillermo was like, guys, th- this is it. This is what everyone wants to see. Fuck yeah. And I know some people don't like Pacific Rim, but I freaking love, I love that, that movie. movie. It's the movie's great. Fun, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Movie's great. It's a fucking, like, yeah. wild breed of Godzilla movie meets, like, uh, old mech warrior anime yeah. shit, which I think is yeah. fucking fantastic, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I, I think, and listen to your podcast, I think we're on the same same wavelength about a few things. I know you're a big uh, Carpenter fan, too. Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's in my blood, so it's, it's in there. <laughs> when you were talking about Prince of Darkness, <laughs> I love that movie. A lot of people are like, why do you like that movie? I'm like, because it's fucking great. It's like, it's like the sequel to The Thing, which is weird. Um, but... Uh, when you're driving around Los Angeles right now, that's all I think about is like, oh, it's like how many homeless guys is Alice Cooper hiding in? You know, <laughs> like, it's, it's like super creepy, super creepy down there. I Prince of Darkness, man, I am still haunted by that ending where she's like in the other realm, reaching back, you yeah. know, and and then the glass just gets broken and everything. I'm like. Every time I see that, I'm haunted by it. And you were talking about, you know, your nostalgic love for film. And it's interesting, especially with horror, uh, like a lot of times we'll watch a movie and we'll have a nostalgic love for it. And that love will transition into our modern viewings. But the same thing with horror for for movies and and scenes that scared me as a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm still nervous. Even at 43, whenever I watch that movie that has that scene in it, I'm always nervous to come up to it. And it's interesting. I'm like, okay, so like, 
trauma nostalgia sticks <laughs> just as much as happy nostalgia does, you know? And, like, little things, like, even though I love RoboCop, you know, Emil Melting always makes me cringe because I saw that when I was, like, eight, yeah. and it freaked me the fuck out, you know? And even though I love it, I'm still always, like, a little cringy about it. Yeah. I mean, that's great, though. That's great if you can retain that because we get so hardened by it, especially when you're working in the business and you're you're editing. As soon as you've gone into an edit room and you're staring at footage for, like, you know, 1500 fucking times you're watching something and you're just like, oh, I've lost track of everything. And and it's really hard to keep that innocence. And one of the reasons why I love theaters and love screening in front of an audience is that that innocence just, just comes flowing back in. As soon as you sit in a room full of fucking strangers and the lights go out, then everybody's in. And you're like, God damn it, this is this is what it's about. I, I can't control this screen. I'm not gonna be able to pause it. So if I have to go take a piss, I gotta run. And, uh, you know, I can't dictate my experience for the next hour and a half, two hours. Fuck yeah, please give it to me. And, yeah. You know, like that, that to me is the power of going to see a movie. Not to mention the fucking screens are great. The audio is better than anywhere you're going to hear audio. And then uh, just that experience with a stranger sitting next to somebody who screams. And you're just like, yeah, all right. It's fucking scary, right? And they're like, yeah, it's yeah. fucking scary. And you're like, okay, good. All right, cool, man. It, and it's a good point you bring up about, like, bathroom breaks and stuff. Uh, you know, I've been trying, because one of the nice things about watching movies at home is you can grab whatever food you want and everything, mm -hmm. but it does break up the, the process. It breaks up the, the whole experience. So lately, I've been trying to treat it like a, a movie, get everything ready before we, we actually sit down with it, and then I try not to have to pee during it and just keep going. And uh, But the only, the only positive thing I would say is that I can keep smoking copious amounts of weed as I watch the movie <laughs> during the course of it in my own home so there you go. <laughs> and, and that always makes everything more fun yeah there you but go. uh <laughs> mike why not 20 minutes in why don't you tell everybody what it is we're going to be talking about on the watch list this this week well we talked briefly before i came on the show and and you guys do top five lists and so we talked about what could be a cool top five list uh, came up with a <laughs> came up with an idea that we didn't do because it really wasn't a good idea. So the second idea was uh, top five fight scenes in the rain for movies. So. And let me say. That was a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, huh. I'm, I'm sitting there like looking through all my stuff and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. But was this in the, no, that wasn't rain. That was something else. I'm like, okay, was uh -huh. this one? And I was like, nope, that's a comic book you're remembering. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So, and I try, and I try not to go too, too modern. Cause you know, I was like, okay, I know John Wick's got some good fights sure. in the rain, but I was like, I'm going to keep it a little bit nostalgic. Um, but I do have one from the two thousands that I, that I really did enjoy. And then I have one that's kind of a cheat. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it was actually on your list as well. And when we get to it, I think you'll, you'll know what I mean by it. it's kind of a cheat, but yeah. it still fits. Um, cool, man. so as we normally do on the show, mm -hmm. uh, Mike, you'll go first. We'll count down. We'll, we'll leapfrog back and forth. You'll start with your five going down to your number one. Mm -hmm. And if you or I hit one, like say your number five is my number three, we'll do more of the in-depth discussion when we get to it on the other person's list if that person has it uh, in a higher position. So okay. I... I, I I don't know. I don't know, buddy. I had a couple, and I don't try to tailor things. Well, how about this? I'll, I'll say this. 
I know I you know knowing what you're into um, as much as I do uh, mm-hmm. I know that dream dreamscape traumatized you as a kid <laughs> um, so I'm like okay he's he's a product of the 80s so I'm gonna try to I tried to guess a couple and I didn't want to incorporate them because I also know what another movie that you like and I think that's gonna be in it because I don't want it to just be five movies we we both talk about you sure know? so sure. I tried to insure, insert other ones but I wouldn't be surprised if we have some overlap yeah I'm sure we will I, I'm also gonna surprise you a bit too because. Look, I, I feel like there is something really powerful about what we're doing. And, you know, we're not saving the fucking world or anything. But there's something really great about people that love movies and listening to other people talk about movies that they've never seen before and, and have that a, a more powerful suggestion than a goddamn fucking algorithm. So yeah. I've kind of dug a little deep and I might surprise you with a couple of my selections. So we'll, we'll okay. see. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Well, why don't you kick us off with your number five favorite fight scene in the rain? Okay. Well, this is going to be an odd one. Number five for me is a fight scene that is a, <laughs> it's kind of a non-traditional fight scene that happens in the rain. Uh, directed by one of the best horror film directors in history. Uh, I would say that number five for me is Drag Me to Hell. Mm. And it is the fight scene between Alison Lohman and the gypsy corpse Mm. as she's trying (laughs) to dig up the old woman and cram her mouth open with a shovel, return the cursed button to this woman to release the curse from her. And the torture that Sam Raimi puts this poor actress through in that sequence is epic. <laughs> uh, I, I freaking loved that movie so much. To truth be told, your this one almost made it on my list as number five. When, when we get to mine, you'll, you'll see what I went with instead. That's hilarious that we almost had our first crossover in the very first one. But, uh, dude, Drag Me to Hell is a great movie. Uh, I actually have only seen it twice, and I kind of want to go back and revisit it. Talk about another movie that kind of traumatized me. You know, growing up Catholic, I'm not at all, like, Catholic now, but growing up Catholic, the idea of going to hell when you don't deserve it or, or, you know, just basically getting dragged there is terrifying to me. Now, you could push back and say, by the end of the movie, she kind of deserved yeah, it by yeah, all yeah. the things that she sort of went through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the point of the movie. But it's the idea going into that movie is that you could have a curse on you that basically damns you to hell forever is such a horrifying concept to me. Well, the thing that I really liked about that film was that Sam Raimi, before that, Sam Raimi was kind of he was kind of missing an action for a bit, at least like horror movie Sam Raimi was, because he was doing Spider-Man and he did like Spider-Man yeah. 2, which I think is a great movie. Um, and then he was producing a lot of stuff. So he was producing like the remake of uh, of uh, Evil Dead, which I thought was okay. And so then <clears throat> this came out of nowhere where I remember seeing the trailers for it and it was like, Sam Raimi does horror again. And you're like, what the fuck? And I, I went to the cinema and saw it there and... For those of you who have seen it, he has like a cold open and then he puts the title up on that screen. He does like an intro, like a title intro and then drag me to hell comes and the music swell. I swear that the movie theater cranked it to 11. The music swell is so fucking intense to the point where I feel like James Wan ripped it off when he did Insidious. He actually did the same music swell for Mm. the titles for Mm. Insidious. Um, But the intense sound and score in Drag Me to Hell, it just punches you in the face 
for the whole fucking movie. And he is obviously having so much fun returning back to the genre that made him who he is. And so like the scares are great. The cutting's really great. The goat sequence, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the camera tricks that he uses uh, to pull off like hauntings and stuff or possessions. It's really the fact that he cast the Apple guy and he made him like <laughs> yeah, the yeah. nicest guy in the world. It's got to go through all this shit. You just watch that movie and you hear you hear Sam Raimi laughing. You just yeah. hear him laughing on set. You hear him just loving to put this actress through through like a tidal wave of mud and like built this set which he is just getting like rained on. And there's a lot of there's a lot of coverage in that scene. So they were shooting that for a long time. Like she was putting on that wet shirt and jumping into that hole for, I don't know, two or three days. So yeah. you, you watch that sequence. And when she's pissed in that movie, you feel like she's trying to cram that shovel into Sam Raimi's face. So it's Because <laughs> they're all night shoots too. So you yeah. know that's a nightmare as well. Yeah, dude. So um, whenever I think of rain stuff, Whenever I'm planning rain stuff, or if I want to do something with rain, that scene always comes into my brain where I'm like, nah, fuck, right. Remember how hard the rain was in that sequence? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> uh, rain. I, I, I wonder if hard rain will make it on either list. No. Yeah, no. I remember being so pissed off at that movie when I was a kid and I should have liked that movie. And I was like, no. Christian Slater. <laughs> I, I don't think my dad took me to see it in the theater. I think we rented it. And I think we both at the end of it just looked at each other and was like, nah, What dude. the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? Oh, well, that was a good pick, bro. That was that was a super good pick. And uh, it's, it's interesting because my number five is very similar. And you actually mentioned it. And it was produced by the same person who just you just mentioned as your director. And that is the Evil Dead 2013 remake. And that's the final fight in the rain slash blood rain or whatever it is. And I know that movie is a bit divisive between people. Um... I personally loved it. I had a good time with it. I was along for the entire ride. I didn't feel like it took anything away from the Evil Dead franchise, which I also love. I love Ash versus Evil Dead and everything. And I also like Jane Le Levy, so, you know, that, that didn't hurt either. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a serviceable remake as far as remakes go. It's, it's you know, might not be up there with the Dawn of the Dead remake, which I freaking love, but, you know, it's, it's doing good things for itself and i think it's doing some work i can't remember who directed that that's what's his name who did i think he's from the french scene i think it, there was, yeah uh, fede alvarez yeah is he i i don't know if he's one of the french directors probably maybe maybe not but it well he he, he did uh, he wrote uh don't breathe yeah. uh, which i like that movie as well I yeah. think he directed that as he well did. um yep that was a good one. So and then yeah, he, no, nah, he's fun. He's fun. Yeah, he he's great. When he does his thing, he's really great. He went on to do, to do the girl with a dragon tattoo sequel, yeah. which I felt like he was just trying to be David Fincher too much. But and and surprisingly, even with Don't Breathe, it kind of felt like Panic Room sometimes. But um, I really dig the the remake of uh, Evil Dead. I thought it was really great, and that rain scene is fucking epic. It, it really is. 
Like it's, it, it's, it is, and, and the, what it bumped off of my list was uh, Two Towers. I don't know if you'll have it on yours, but yeah. uh, the battle for Helm's Deep at the end. And I was like, I like that scene, and I like that, but I was like, I really want a horror movie in this. Because I I was like, are any, I was looking at my Friday 13th collection, I was like, does Jason fight anybody in the rain? I was like, no. But I was like, I'm, I was like in my head, I was like, I'm thinking of something. And then it hit me. I was like, ah, Evil Dead. Yeah, That's yeah. in the rain right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if Jason fights anybody. Freddy versus well, Jason. Well, he's, he's drippy. He's like, he's very drippy in part eight, yeah. you know? Like, well, that's and, where it starts and, to get fucking hard when, you, when you're making this list because you're like, yeah. why are people wet? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, what is the, the reason? Yeah, because you realize, I was like, well, yeah. he, he, there's rain at the beginning of part six when Jarvis brings him back to life, but for some reason, it always seems like when the action gets going, it stops raining. And I'm sure you know as a filmmaker, it's because it's just so freaking hard it's, it's, it's to expensive. shoot in the rain. Yeah, it's expensive. It's, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, man. That's a great one. I, I actually thought about that one. That one was actually suggested to me by my girlfriend, and I'm like, I already got my list, so thanks. <laughs> thanks for well, it's, it's perfect to have our, our number five sort of uh, <laughs> lineup like that. Yeah. So <laughs> what is your number four? Um, all right, so before I get into my number four, I feel like... Uh, I feel like I have to make a nod to a movie that almost became my number four. And the only reason why it didn't become my number four was because technically he's not fighting anybody. But another rain sequence in a movie that sticks with me from the 80s uh, that almost made it on my list was the opening for The Last Boy Scout. <laughs> Jimmy Dix. That, that was going to make it on mine, but I was like, for the same reason, I he's go, not fighting he's anybody. not fighting anybody. He's shooting people, or one guy, but he's not fighting, fighting anybody. anybody. Dude, that almost made my yeah, list, Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Like, Billy Cole, that's what he was. Yeah. Billy Cole, and he fucking <laughs> blew his fucking brains out. <laughs> fucking movie's so great. Fucking Damon Wayans is great in that movie. Bruce Willis, holy shit. When that movie came out, it was like, I was so obsessed with John McClane and then Bruce Willis comes out and he plays an even harder John McClane mm -hmm. in that movie. And I was just like, fuck man. The last boy scout gets a lot of shit and there's a lot of drama about how it was done. But, uh, Tony Scott directed that anyway, that's not my, that's you, not my choice. Well, I just want to say, and I know you love Tony Scott. Um, but I, I just, it's funny because I literally just got the two-pack Blu-ray yesterday of Last Boy Scout and Last Man Standing, two movies that I think are highly underrated that I love, both of them, uh, Last Man Standing by Walter Hill, fantastic yep. action movie with Bruce Willis as well. Although there's no rain in that because it's all in the desert pretty much. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. It's been a while since I've seen that one. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, okay, so my select for number four is a strange well it's not really a strange one um put in imagine you're putting in this vhs tape right you're sitting around you put in this vhs tape and you're watching as you get history you get the backstory of one of the most iconic heroes in cinematic history you're riding along with uh river phoenix as he plays young indiana jones and you you find out the origins of the scar on Indy's chin, how we fought the lion and everything else. And there's this great sequence where he tries to steal the cross of Coronado, whatever it was, from the um, the gravediggers and basically gets caught at the end and the guy gives him his 
fedora and he puts that fedora mm-hmm. on his head and he puts his head down and as he lifts his head up, it's soaking wet and there's Indy on the deck of this fucking uh, cargo ship in the middle of the ocean uh, and Spielberg does what Spielberg does best in just a throwaway scene, which is essentially like the intro of Indy in this movie with bad guys that don't mean shit. And uh, he has this epic fight on the deck of the ship with huge waves crashing over, thunder and lightning, rain. I think that this scene was influenced by one of my later scenes. But uh, everything that you like about Indiana Jones fight, from the amazing punch sound effects to the I'm going to punch two guys in the mouth at the same time move, uh, (laughs) to swinging on shit, kicking people around. Uh, And just from a directorial standpoint, you look at this scene, which is essentially a throwaway cold open and the amount of work that they did to pull this thing off, building this ship deck, having it on like whatever gimbal, fucking wave machines and the whole ordeal. It's just pure Indiana Jones excitement. Uh, And I I love that. That's such a great pick. I... I freaking and I'm, I'm, it's weird because I'm gonna say I love Last Crusade. I haven't seen it in a while, um, but and I always forget about that opening part because I remember the River Phoenix part. Yep. I remember all of that stuff, and then I remember Sean Connery stuff and where it goes. But I always forget the sort of cold open that's after the prequel, basically. But I love how he did that. I love how he gave us finally that backstory on Indiana Jones. And you're right, that scene in the rain on the boat is is fantastic. And I oh, man, I just love that movie. It's so much fun. Indiana Jones is such a, a great character. We're not the first people to say that at all. It's, no, it's, it's, it's just, a great movie and a great franchise. He's so great in that sequence. And it's it does the best of everything, right? So... It kind of harkens back to which everybody calls the evil Indy. Indy from Temple of the Doom, which is one of my favorite mm. ones anyways, where Indy in that point was fortune and glory. And that's what he was doing. He was kind of a piece of shit. He was kind yeah. of a piece of shit guy that was just running around stealing stuff. And so when this scene opens in, in uh, Last Crusade, you feel like it's kind of that Indy where he's just like, I don't give a fuck if this is your cross and you got it legitimately. I'm here to steal this shit from you. And so that's really fucking cool. And then uh, just... Spielberg is the god as far as blocking is concerned, as far as action mm. blocking is concerned. It just his set piece for that, his set piece for that was just outstanding. So great oh, things man. to say about him. Oh God, so good, so good, dude. I am not the biggest uh, Temple of Doom fan for the reason <laughs> that most people aren't, and I keep giving it shots, you know. But I always come back and say, you know what? If I'm gonna watch an Indiana Jones movie, I, it, I'll probably watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, Last Crusade. You know what I mean? Um, and so, but it, honestly, there's nothing really wrong with Temple of Doom. It's an interesting film, totally different than than Very you know, the first totally one. And I got to give him props for doing something different for the sequel and everything. But it just it doesn't fill that nostalgic itch for me. I think it's because when I was a kid, I just I didn't watch it that much, that particular one. Well, and there's a lot to get through. Like, what's her name? She whines a lot through the whole movie, and you're just like, ugh. But, you know, the relationship between him and Short Round is really great. And then the just pure evil... You want to talk about scenes that scare the fuck out of you. The pure evil Kali Ma pull a heart out of this dude's chest. And I've studied that sequence of, you know, lowering this guy into the pit. I've broken that down on the show multiple times like 
that sequence is purely terrifying and it's purely mm -hmm. wonderful filmmaking. It's filmmaking at its best. And so, uh, you know, is it as good as the first? No, the first has got some fucking amazing sequences in it. And is it as good as Last Crusade? It's different. Last Crusade's more of like a family fun laugh and chuckle it. You know, it's a dad son story. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I would almost say that all three of them are almost their own sort of genre of films. I, I don't yeah. think, I mean, I, I know Last Crusade is kind of more similar to Raiders, but it, it's not. It's like you said, it's more of a dad-son thing. Raiders is more high adventure. I think they're all tonally very different, which as a franchise, that's actually really freaking cool. Yeah, and <laughs> Last Crusade gets a little fucking weird where it's just like, Okay, so Sean Connery and him were sleeping with the same 21-year-old. <laughs> it gets a little weird there. It's totally and you can only do that with Sean Connery and Harrison Ford in, in, in yeah. the leads. Like, there's no other duo that you could freaking pull that off with. Yeah, it gets a little weird there. But it's, it's so much fun. And Sean Connery, you know, coming from being, like, the most macho of macho fucking James Bond characters to, to playing it the way he did, which was very gentle. And, and it was... It wasn't Sean Connery. It was it was totally Henry Jones, and so yeah. you watch it, you go, "Fuck, man, this guy's such a great actor." Yeah, good movie. Yeah, it, if you, if yeah. anybody has not seen Indiana Jones, wake the fuck up and watch all three <laughs> of those movies. I, I'm sure every one of our listeners has. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, my number four. Uh, this is the one that I had to kind of cheat on, but I think you'll let me slide. Okay. And that is the Riggs and Mr. Joshua fight scene at the end of Lethal Weapon 1987. It's a cheat because it's not rain. It's actually like a fire hydrant, um, but it's shot like rain and it looks like rain. And I kind of always forget that it's not rain, you know, but I love Lethal Weapon and I love Riggs versus Mr. Joshua. Do you have that on your list that is okay so yes kind of so my oh. selection okay so let's continue with this because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cross paths here okay okay <laughs> so my next one i was gonna start with that i was gonna say it is from lethal weapon and i didn't choose that one because unlike you i did my homework and it's not rain <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's actually I deserve that I deserve that it's actually a fucking fire hydrant that they do and that fight sequence is amazing like Gary like it was Gary Busey right wasn't it yeah yep. Gary yeah. Busey was Mr. Joshua yeah yeah so, pre I think that was pre his accident so it was pre crazy Gary Busey but he was still kind of fucking nuts and you, you yeah you still bought when you watch that movie and he has the guy putting the cigarette out in his hand yeah you still bought yeah. that it was like Gary's doing this for real. <laughs> like, this is method. This is a method scene. Um, but I love that scene, but I couldn't take it because, like I said, it's not rain. So I went in that same series to Lethal Weapon 4, where Mel Gibson and Danny Glover fight Jet Li mm, underneath mm -hmm. that dock sequence. Now, Love it or hate it, Lethal Weapon 4 has got a lot of fucking problems. And the whole Chris Rock storyline is a little fucking shitty. There's a lot of crap in it that sucks. But that end sequence is fucking great. And that set that they built, which is essentially like, I don't know what part of California they were supposed to be in. I feel like it's like underneath like a Santa Monica Pier or something. Yeah. And they have this thunder lightning, full rain machine, full tank set. 
Like this thing is huge. It's a huge, huge set. I'm sure they built it outside at like Paramount on one of their parking lot sets or whatever. Amazing location. The lighting is epic. They have all these like slash environmental lighting coming through all the wood planks. In the intro to the scene where, where Jet Li plays, I think I would say he plays such a great bad guy for them. I think that's what really saves that movie. And from what I heard, it was right around the time that Joel Silver had found Jet Li and was trying to bring him over to the U.S. Because Jet Li was an international action star with everything that he had did. Uh, yeah. And I think he was, was it Hong Kong or wherever. So um, Joel Silver was like, come and do this movie and then I'll make movies with you. So like he did like the one with Jason Statham after that. There was a bunch of other movies that they did. And so Jet Li came in and fucking played a bad guy that should have just been a one note bad guy. He plays it colorfully. So like you have this guy who just, and they don't, they don't get into detail why. He just has all of this like anxiety and hurt in him. And so when Mel Gibson, I think it was Mel that kills his buddy or kills somebody. And Mel and, <laughs> and Danny Glover are at one end of the dock and Jet Li's just saying goodbye emotionally to this, to whoever it was. I don't know if it was his brother or something. I, I think it was his brother, yeah. That dies. Yeah. And Mel looks at him and he goes, ah, and looks at Danny Glover and he goes, well, this sucks. <laughs> it's just like, this is going to suck. And it's like, do you want to do, do you want to do this? And they're like, no, nah, we're too old for this shit. Yeah, we're too old for this shit. We're not going to do this. And they go to walk away and Mel knows that the fight's going to happen. And Jet Li stands up and they have this epic epic fight and i think some of the some of the high points for me is when jet Li does like his sort of like jump kick move where he like jumps in the air and both mel and um riggs uh, uh, murtaugh grab him mid-flight and toss him yeah. back down on the ground it's like that's super cool and yeah. then when uh he beats the fuck out of mel gibson like beats the fuck out of him and the one thing i love about mel as an actor is that he knows how to take a punch and he knows how to really sell it hard and he yeah. sells it with like his body movements and his groans and grunts. And and uh, that really cool gimmick in that series was him trying to put his shoulder back in all the time. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was fucking great. And so Jet Li like breaks his fucking arm and Mel has to like put him down and then go over and, uh, and slam his fucking arm on the wall. <laughs> and it, it like just continues to expand to the point where Danny Glover shoves a fucking wrought iron through Jet Li's fucking gut and... Jet Li still kicks his ass with his wrought yeah. iron through his gut, still knocks out Danny Glover. And so then Mel runs over, who's fucked up, like completely fucked up, grabs the wrought iron, is holding the wrought iron up, and they're just screaming with like lightning strikes and rain. <laughs> and then the fucking dock falls apart and they go underwater and they're fighting underwater. And then there's the fucking like, AK-47 shootout underwater. <laughs> Like, how can you not like this? This should be number one on my fucking list. How can you not like this fight scene in the rain? Dude, it is. It's a it's a great scene. Um, I'm actually a fan of Lethal Weapon 4. I like the entire series. I know that there are pieces here and there inside of the series that are hit or miss with a lot of people. Like you said, number four, a lot of the movie itself is. But on a whole... 
I love what they did with those characters. I love that they got every movie Riggs and Murtaugh got closer. Every movie Riggs got like closer with Murtaugh's family. I love how every movie the captain sort of became more family with them. And then at the end of number four, I like how they address it all. It's like, we're just family. Yeah. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like it felt organic. It felt meta, but also worked with the, within the confines of the film universe itself. Um, I love that fight with with Jet Li one that one there I love the Mr. Joshua fight yeah uh, I think Mel Gibson like you said he does a fantastic job like when he gets hit you feel it you always feel like or I should say you never I feel like you never feel like Mel Gibson is always going to win the fight. Like, yeah. you go into an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you watch Commando. You know he's going to win every fight that he comes across. Um, of course, it helps that Mel Gibson is of more normal human proportions, <laughs> so you can kind of, the believability of him, uh, you know, actually being vulnerable is, is there. Yeah. And he's a powerful actor, you know. I mean, I know that, you know, his personal stuff aside, um, I am a big Mel Gibson fan of, of his body of work, Dude, not totally. necessarily his his views, his his life views and everything. But as a um, but as a fucking actor, man, like I even his new stuff that he's done recently, I just saw him in a Fat Man. Well, Fat Man's great, and I just saw. I've, hearing, I've heard good things of that. Dude, I had the directors on my show; they're really okay. great. Um, Fat Man's really good, and then he was just in Boss Level. He had a small part in Boss Level. Which was great. Everyone's been telling me to watch that too. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Um, and he's doing a new movie right now, which I think I'm allowed to talk about. My cinematographer is shooting him in a new movie right now. I think I'm allowed to say that. Um, but uh, he, like, I've missed him for years. And if I had yeah. an opportunity to put him in anything, I hear that he's a fucking amazing guy to have on set. I hear he's an amazing guy to work with. Um, and he just has that fucking face. So for me just to get my camera on him and to look at the monitor and see him in that monitor and then just remember Mad Max, fucking mm. like Martin Riggs, fucking like any character that he's ever, give me back my son, any fucking character. Uh, it would just be amazing. So like, yeah, whatever happened. Back in the day when I used to be a gym rat, a little bit of a gym rat, I was never that in shape. But I, <laughs> when I was doing the elliptical or, or the treadmill basically, um, I would always set the last of it to a real hard upward run, like a real hard run. And without fail, in my head, I pictured that I was Riggs from part two when he had to get out of the car and basically start chasing Mark Ralston, the yeah. uh, the the diamond thief. Yes. Um, and, and I just pretended that I was him just running up that hill. And I don't know why, but I loved that energy in part two, man. Dude, I think part two... Part two has my favorite. Part two has my favorite sex scene in it, which is the, nice. which is the, uh, the mo the mobile home on the beach, yeah. uh, you know, beautiful sex scene with the helicopters that come over the ocean and fucking blast the whole place out. I love that fucking sequence. I love that whole bit. I think two is, is great. Uh, I would almost say two's up there with sequels that are at least as good, if not better, than the original. Yeah, it's really fantastic. There's a lot of tech stuff in two that when you rewatch it, like 
the rear projection, a lot of it, you're just like, this is terrible. <laughs> but like Riggs himself and the development that, that that character had where he went from kind of a psychopath in the first one to a lovable partner who was kind of jokey and like eating dog food. Well, the dog food bit was in the third one, I think, but like he, <laughs> after he, a while, the pieces start getting jumbled where they fall. Yeah. He just became like that. He became like that cool uncle. You know what I mean? Yeah. That when you're watching yeah. it, it's like, ah, oh, that's my cool uncle fucking Riggs. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you wish Riggs was in your, in your life, you know, in, in your family. But, uh, yeah, but yeah. he was, he will always be Max Rockatansky to me. I was a yeah. huge Mad Max fan growing up as a kid. And, uh, Massive. I, I mean, and, and I love Fury Road actually is probably my favorite Mad Max movie, but, um, yep. to this day, I, I think that the, the opening chase sequence in the original Mad Max is one of my favorite action chase sequences of all time i loved seeing uh the different like cars that they had like a pursuit special versus like you know the the like you know they had the police had different cars and everything i was like this is really cool love this and and just so just so visceral i love those movies man like i mm -hmm. they, i think my I, i've said it before i think my favorite <laughs> my favorite shot in cinema history uh is in road warrior in the opening, after the guys on the bike are chasing him and he has to stop to get the fuel out of the truck and there's this low angle shot where his interceptor comes through and that back tire, as he puts the brake on the back tire, bop, 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 and it's this beautiful low angle and it backs up in the same frame. It's such a throwaway shot, but it's so George Miller. Um, it's one of my favorite shots in cinema. And knowing that he took that style and completely made an entire fucking movie with that, which was Fury Road, was just amazing. And I'm a huge Tom Hardy fan. I've got a Tom Hardy crush. I've always loved him. Um, but I saw that deep fake that's online where they replaced his face with mm. Mel Gibson's face. And I usually don't go for that shit, but I saw it online and it's just like the 13 year old heart of me was like, oh wow, did I miss this movie? Like this would have been so cool. Is he, was he in this? You know? <laughs> oh man, deep fakes, man. That's, that's gonna, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, like Mel Gibson on his body. I was just like, fuck. Why didn't we, why didn't we have that movie? Like, it was just, <laughs> it was just that, you know? Uh, and, and, and you know what we probably will officially at some point like a hundred years in the future they'll just we will officially it. they'll just go back and remap you know mel gibson's face on there yeah. but uh <laughs> oh man and the, the interceptor man god damn i love that car so much dude um so well, good mm, so good so good um okay so you you segued into your number four with lethal weapon four and so my no right then now we're on to your number no that was your number three uh yeah so we did we did drag me to hell we did indiana jones yeah. and then we did lethal weapon four lethal weapon four okay so now we're on that was your number three so now we're on to my number three mm -hmm. uh 1989 it's interestingly enough because podcast after dark it's it's a little skewed because we look at every movie through a nostalgic lens. So we 
are going back and rewatching movies that we loved as kids. So there's very few times where we don't say, oh, oh, we didn't like this. Except for this one time. <laughs> and that was 1989 Van Damme Cyborg, a movie that I <laughs> loved so much as a kid. I do not think it's very good now. Uh, anybody wants to fight me on that, just go listen to the, the episode or review of it. But his fight against Vincent Klein at the end, Fender, Tremolo, uh, the guy with the blue eyes, you know, the blue contacts, in the rain. Dude, I can still hear that guy screaming. I can still picture him in my head doing that weird no neck twist <laughs> body twist thing and it's just and it's not even like one of my favorite like fight scenes although I don't dislike it I think it's a fun fight scene but it is burned into my brain so hard yeah. that it had to make the list yeah it's dangerous that one's really dangerous and that one fe it's funny because I was sitting here with with my roommate and he was like oh fuck what movies are you picking because he was running through stuff in his head and he's like there's something with Jean-Claude and he's like, I can't think of what it is. There's something with Jean-Claude. <laughs> and we totally forgot about that movie. And he's like, oh, it's fucking Universal Soldier. And I go, yes, there's a good fucking rain fight scene in Universal Soldier. But it, it wasn't the one I was thinking about. And yours is that one. It's very dangerous. It's very, like, very dark. And Cyborg is a movie came out early enough that I was younger. So I was very young when that movie came out. Um, so it was, it's on the dangerous list. It's on that list of films that my mom was like, you're not allowed to fucking rent those. And so there's something about that nostalgia of it being so dangerous as opposed to like Jean-Claude in, in Universal Soldier, which I saw. And I'm like, okay, Dolph Lundgren's cool in this. And, and, and I love Universal Soldier, by the way. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. And we were just talking about it uh, at how Jean-Claude, like Mel Gibson, really takes punches really well. Because we watched that sequence and... His head twists and the, the the benefit of doing it in the rain is that you can further accentuate that energy by your wet hair and the whipping of your wet hair. And anytime you see someone get punched in a fucking movie, it's all about the person selling that hit. And so when Dolph was like swinging his like MIT fucking mitts at his face. <laughs> his you know? fucking scientist mitts. <laughs> yeah. And then like, like Van Damme just whips his fucking head around. Um, it's super fucking cool. And a funny little thing is, uh, I keep referencing the show. Uh, I did a podcast with Van Damme's sons. So I had his two sons on the show and we talked for a while about what it was like growing up. <laughs> what it was like growing up as Jean-Claude's fucking kids. And uh, they were saying that he's so committed to his characters that he used to scare them at night when they were kids and he used to sneak in their rooms and play these creatures you have oh to listen to, you have to listen to the episode like he was supposedly a great crazy dad um oh, but i love that man i love jcvd so much yeah i, I don't super care cool. I he's love super him. cool man he's super cool <laughs> i'm trying i can't wait to get out of quarantine so i can hang out with those guys it's really really a big part of it uh but yeah man great movie fucking cyborg i haven't seen that movie in a, in a lifetime i have to watch that yeah, I'm curious to hear if if it holds up for you as as well as you think it does. Um, like I said, unfortunately, it didn't for us. And uh, if anybody wants to go back and revisit that, that was in uh, year one, season one, back when we were uh, baby podcasters. But you know, it's weird because as, even though I know, even though I know how I felt after like recording that episode, I still look at it and be like, I could pop it in and watch Cyborg, you know? Because it's just, dude, nostalgia. Hell of a drug. Yeah, nostalgia is a hell of a drug too, but also 
when did we hit a point where movies have to be fucking perfect? They don't. I'll watch a movie just for a scene. I'll watch yeah. a movie for an outfit. I'll watch a movie yeah. for a music cue. And the rest of the movie can be fucking dog shit. Like you're talking about, you referenced uh, uh, Dreamscape, which scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And for the longest period of time, I thought that movie was Nightmare on Elm Street because of the whole fucking yeah. mm -hmm. bit in the train where he pulls the guy's heart yeah. out. Um, other than the fucking dream sequences, that movie's trash. Like it's fucking <laughs> trash. And even as a kid, I think we just had a lot more patience being younger where, you know, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't find porn anywhere. I'd literally be up late at night sitting through some dog shit Cinemax movie just to see yeah. some topless lady in it. It's, yes. And so yes. like you, you just had more patience for it and you, you had an understanding that, you know, it doesn't have to be fucking perfect. There's something that you, that I take away from almost every movie, unless the movie's really terrible, unless it's yeah. like, you know, Julie or whatever the fuck, but there's something perfect that there's something that I take away from it, from each one. I think. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I can do a pretty good job of like extracting what I like out of things. I'm pretty easy on, on movies. Um, kind of like, <laughs> Like like the Ghostbusters, answer the call. Uh, I'll still say to this day that I like that movie better than Ghostbusters too. I hate I hate Ghostbusters too, even though I'm a massive Ghostbusters fan. But it's because there's like all these little pieces that I, I like of that movie. I don't necessarily like that movie as a whole, answer the call. But there's a bunch of little pieces that I enjoy. And uh, side note, once I looked at that movie through the lens of a live action Saturday morning cartoon, I was like, okay, I can I can connect a little bit better. Uh, with it but i know what you mean dude it's like yeah i can i can sit through a movie if, if there's gonna be some awesome like payoff scene that i really freaking dig you know well especially if it's coming from an honest place like if it's coming from from a filmmaker if it's coming from a screenplay writer if it's coming from a storyteller and it's not necessarily coming from we live in a time period right now where every where the corporations that are doing this shit understand that we're addicted to nostalgia and so they're they're just like you know, we, we show up to the theater and they inject us with fucking nostalgia, fucking IVs. And we're just sort of sitting there and drooling on ourselves. And, and like, I really like the honest, the honest filmmaker shit. Like, why, why do we like James Cameron so much? He was fucking honest about his stuff. And he made blockbusters being honest about it. Yeah. Like, but blockbusters that were fun, you yeah. know? And, 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 and to your point about trying to tap into nostalgia, I can't remember like, what movie I'm thinking in my head, but I've seen films that were like, oh, this, I think it was probably like Wonder Woman 84 or something. I was like, this movie doesn't even feel like it was in the 80s. It was so cleaned and polished. But then I watch VFW and I'm like, this feels like a John Carpenter film. It doesn't feel like they're ripping off John Carpenter. This feels like it's literally made by John Carpenter in the 80s. And I don't know why one works and one doesn't but and, and I, just, I don't know you know but for some reason there is that just because you tell me something takes place in the 80s doesn't mean that it's gonna feel like it and then you have something that doesn't ever say when it takes place and it feels like it takes place in the 80s so i know what you mean it sometimes it's a little forced on the nostalgia stuff yeah i mean my philosophy as a director has always been uh, if I'm if I'm ever referencing old movies, if I'm ever going through old films and I'm showing them to like my cinematographer or, or actors or anybody that I'm involved with, I'm never like, hey, we're going to redo this. Like, here's this scene from Indiana Jones. I want to redo this. It's more let's let's study the rules. Let's study the language that 
Steven Spielberg came up with for this thing. So anytime someone's walking from left to right, it's for exposition. Anytime that this thing happens, it's for this. Anytime he uses this specific thing, it's to do that. And not so that I can reference Indiana Jones, it's so that I can reference the emotion that gave me. So when you're looking at the stretch pull from fucking Jaws and he's sitting on the beach, I don't wanna do that stretch pull to, to give a nod to Jaws. I wanna do a stretch pull to give you the same emotional impact that that one had. And I think that's the trick. I think when filmmakers are studying the language of cinema and using that language to tell new stories, that's better than when you have, let's say not really filmmakers coming in and going, well, just put them in a fucking 80s hoodie and then it's from the 80s. And you're yeah. just like, you're just dressing a turd with, with nostalgic outfits. And yeah, I, that's, the, that's, I think, is the real difference between feeling like a movie belongs in a time period or feeling like a movie uses that language. And it's more that language than it is a time period where it's so fascinating to me how the language of cinema has changed between the 80s to the 90s. And in the 2000s, like the language for cinema for action movies in the 2000s was trash. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. like it's it's fascinating to see the morphing of that. And there's a lot of filmmakers currently, a lot of my peers currently that are like going back to the 70s, going back to Kurosawa, going back to those days. Have you ever seen The Love Witch? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It, it, I'm. I have not seen it yet either. Um, I'm. I'm gonna probably pick it up on Amazon, but I'm infinitely fascinated by it because it's shot to look exactly like a 1969 Hammer film, you know. Yeah. And every single every trailer I see, honestly, I was because I didn't know about it. I thought it was an older movie. Then I was like, it's 2014. I was like, what? Like, and I was like, holy crap! They did it. They literally. Pulled it off. I was, I was, at first I was thought it was a 1969 film that I'd never even seen before. And I was like, wow, that's yeah. impressive. And I, and I think now we're getting, you can probably address this better than me since you're more in the industry. Um, but it seems like now it's like, all right. And I know Wonder Woman 84 is probably a bad example because it is newer, but it's like, before it'd be like, like you said, just throw a hoodie on them. But now they're like, no, no, but we need the same film stock. We need to try to emulate that look. And I think that like film stock is a big deal. And like trying to get the right film stock that they shot with that. And you usually can't now. I mean, you know that, right? Like it's hard to get that old sort of film stock and everything, but that's essential to the look of the film too. There's a big part of it. I mean, like aesthetically, whether you're lighting it very similar ways, like if you go back and you look at old uh, James Cameron stuff, he was using mostly HMIs and he was balancing them so they were blue. So that's why you have all these blue light things that are happening. You can go back and technically do that. That's a piece of the language of it, but it also comes down to more so for me, I think it comes down to pacing tone and blocking and, mm -hmm. and that language is very specific and you're, you're constantly as a filmmaker, you're constantly combating the notes that you get, whether it's from producers or studio where it's just like, this needs to be faster. The audience isn't going to have the attention span for this, which you want to kind of buck back and go, fuck off, man. Like these people are sitting here listening to you and me talk about movies for three fucking hours. They have the attention span for this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's fascinating to see how it's all going to play out. And I, I think now that we're breaking out of COVID and now with the success of Godzilla versus Kong and that cinemas are going to still survive. And that's really important. 
I think we're just going to get into a whole new realm of movies that are fun, have a lot of fucking people in them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's the opposite of the fucking quarantine. I think is what we're going to see, <laughs> which is cool. I I hope so. I, I'm and I'm I'm with you there, but I and I do hope so because boy oh boy, I can't wait to go back to the movie theater. So <laughs> dude, me me either, man, me either. Uh, all right, you're number two. All right, so for number two. Uh, I've got two that I have one that came close and then I have one that is it right. So okay. Okay. the one that came close is a movie that I would reference normally. I talk about this movie all the time, probably exhaustively. And so that's one of the reasons why it hasn't become my number two, but it is the seven samurai. So it is okay. the amazing fight scene in the seven samurai, the whole build that cast Kurosawa Kurosawa's use of rain and how rain is an emotional tool for him. The elements were emotional tools for him. All that stuff is very inspiring to me as a filmmaker. But like I said, it, it's expected. The other I'm, one- I'm glad you mentioned it because it. I dropped it from my list thinking that you might put it on yours. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I normally would. And so okay. I had to trade it, because I have an interesting number one. So I had to okay. trade it for another one that I think is just as important, and it's Blade Runner. So it is- that, that was going to probably be in my top three, but I knew in my heart of hearts you were going to pick that one. Yes, of course. <laughs> Plus, I was like, but it's not really a fair fight, though, either. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but <laughs> come on, it's still a it's, fight. It's, and it's in the rain, and it's in the rain. <laughs> and it's in the rain, and it's 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 in indoor rain because the rain's leaking through the walls, and the fucking, yep. <laughs> and the breaking of, of uh, Harrison Ford's fingers. Ah. Uh, uh. And, you know, the Rory Batty fucking like running around in his underpants and the like all of that movie is just gorgeous. And it culminates in an action sequence that really does so well and so artistically where normally it just would have been like an action fight that happens in a fucking warehouse. And maybe there's some cool lights, maybe there's some great stuff. But his production design of the of the fucking ceramic tiles on the bathroom wall that he punches through and the color palettes for all that stuff. It's just a work of art. Anytime that you pause that movie, any still frame that you stop on, you're like, can I print this and put this on my wall? Like this is, this is art. Um, and the fact that he loaded such a basic action sequence with that much art makes it amazing to me. Um, yeah. So it's like by far it's gorgeous. and a Blade Runner. If you guys haven't seen that movie, Stop listening and go shoot yourself. No, like that movie. <laughs> that, that movie is just—it is gold. What is your preferred version? Um, well, honestly, honestly, it's probably just the director's cut. I mean, the 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 original's fun and trashy. It's got that really shitty fucking VO that runs through it. You know, which I like. I actually like that VO. It, for, as a, and again, maybe it was because that was the first version that I saw, but it also made it feel very noirish to me. And I know that's what they were going for, but I, I for some reason, still love that VO. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving that. I think I would love it more that if I watched it, I put it in on VHS. I think that if I was watching that on <laughs> yeah. a VHS tape, I dig it. And I mean, I love it. I, I just love the thing I love about Blade Runner is is the reason why. I would fall asleep to its score when I had insomnia. I would put the score on all the time. Blade Runner for me is an, is an immersive thing. And mm. a lot of younger fans of the show and a lot of my younger friends that try to watch the first Blade Runner, they're like, it's really fucking long. 
and it's it's very in, like it's very intense and it's kind of slow and I'm like that's the point. The point is that you're allowed to be in this environment on these rainy streets and the walk walk and all the fucking sound effects and you just want to be there. And that's what he does so well with that movie. And when I put it in, it isn't necessarily to watch a story start to finish. It's like, I'm, I'm going to the future. I'm going to an mm -hmm. alternate future. I'm going to go hang out in the street and hang out with Harrison Ford while he eats noodles in a booth. That's what that movie's for. Like, I can't watch that scene of him noodle eating without having to pause it and go make myself a bowl of ramen. Like, I, I, just, I just can't. And anytime anyone says to me, I can't get into that film, I'm always like, did you pack a huge fucking bowl right before you watched it? Because like, like you said, like it's the kind of movie that I literally want to just melt into the couch and let the movie pour over me like a bucket of warm, hot water. I don't know. That sounds actually kind of gross, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. I want to just let it pour over me. I want to inhabit that world. I love the costume designs in that world. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to be doing a watch list with my a friend of mine next month, our top five favorite sci-fi weapons and a Decker's pistol in that film is going to be one of them. I love the design of it. Uh, I, I love the sequel. I loved uh, everything yeah. they did in the sequel. Yep. I love that. Just that little micro one, two movie punch right there. Like just put those together. Great little back to back sci-fi. Just like you said, immersion. And yeah. that's all I want is just a fall backwards into a bed of Blade Runners. Again, that sounds terrible, but you know what I mean. Dude, it's the it's wonderful. And like the the Vangelis score, I have it on vinyl. Like like all that stuff is I, I constantly get in this argument with people where the movie experience doesn't have to be the same for everything. Like the same movie experience that I would get from watching Sicario isn't the movie experience that I expect from watching Blade Runner. Now they're two really great movies, two amazing movies made by the same director for the sequel. Uh, but Sicario is more of a plot-driven piece where you're just you're on the edge of your seat. You want to know what's happening next. You want to understand where the plot's taking you and how these characters are going to develop based upon that plot. Blade Runner isn't that. Blade Runner for me is like going to the Museum of Fine Art and standing there, putting on a set of headphones and standing there and staring at an oil painting. That's what fucking Blade Runner is. It's just that full immersion. And the fact that the scenes take a while and that they're paced out, I want them paced out even more. Yeah, I would, I would yeah. literally just sit in that sequence with him while he fucking drank, he did his whole bowl of noodles without a cut. And I would just sit there and look at the people crossing and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's the reason why that movie exists. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I like sci-fi like that like Blade Runner sci-fi, I love it super slow with very long takes and everything. Like my, my favorite Star Trek movie is Star Trek The Motion Picture because there's like a freaking five-minute scene of the Enterprise flying over V'ger. You would never fucking do that anymore. Like that's insane. But again, that's another movie, uh, Star Trek The Movie is another one where I just, I get super baked and I just want to absorb that world and I want it to be slow because I want to just absorb it and look at everything and, and just love it. Same way as Blade Runner and like you said that that's you've said it much more eloquently than me <laughs> movies not every movie has to have the same experience and some movies yeah. i just want to just let be absorbed into that world like some kind of blob gummy you know and just go into it so. it's it's the same reason why people go to fucking disney world it's yeah. it's like you you want to be in that environment you want to mm -hmm. be in that world blade runner and is like the so perfect. alive yeah yep it's yeah. the perfect element for that
Yep. Yeah, and and so like and in, in you know as an example, like your number two is dramatically different than my number two, um, and mine is 1994's The Crow, and I love <laughs> the Eric Draven first versus Top Dollar fight scene at the end of that movie. Uh, I love the hell out of that movie. I watch it every year, and I think it holds up spectacularly. I am disappointed in myself for not thinking of that scene. First off. <laughs> and then second, it, there's a strange parallel between that scene and the Blade Runner scene for me because the crow is another one of those environments that I could sit in. And the, mm-hmm. and the crow is another score that I listen to to go to sleep. So it's it's the level of artistry, and that's Alex Proyas that did that. Yes, and then he did Dark City, which I loved, yep. and then he kind of went downhill yeah, with, uh, yeah. with, I think, Gods and... Yeah, yeah, he kind of went off the map. He's an interesting follow on Facebook, by the way. Um, yeah, he, like um, I love that movie. I love the lighting in that movie. I love the the miniatures in that movie. Yeah, dude, the miniature work in that movie is fan fucking tastic. Yeah, you, just, you don't see that much anymore. And I love, I love miniature cities because I love that it feels fake. You know what I mean? Like, they, and that's that's not a. That's not a dig on it. It, it. For some reason, I enjoy the fakeness of it. I, it makes me feel like it's a model city or something that I can go in and have it. Which my growing up uh, as in the '80s, latchkey kid, um, divorced parents. Uh, my grandfather kind of like would always be there, so I had a very strong friendship connection with my grandpa growing up. And in his basement, he had a giant like the whole room was a like a, a train set. Oh, right? I love those. And it, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it was all it wasn't the big one. It was it was the smaller scale one. Um, but everything there was to scale. And uh, I blame him for the reason that I couldn't play with like I couldn't play with G.I. Joe's versus Transformers. Like everything that I played with had to be in scale to each other. Yeah. Uh, but for, I, I just I love that. So like in The Crow, when they have those shots of the city and he's flying through it, and I'm like, it looks like a miniature. It looks like a model. And I know it is. And that's what makes it better in my head. Right, because at the end of the day, it's a fucking movie. So the idea that everything needs to be so perfect, like it has to look like it's in reality, it's like, no, dude, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's nothing real about it. It's a fucking two-dimensional object that you're staring at on screen. So if a model makes you feel like you're there, who cares? Who cares if it's a fucking model? If it's a, if it's a fucking sock puppet that someone has their their hand up its ass and they're fucking walking around with a walking stick talking about the force you're looking at the thing going it's a fucking puppet but it's still connecting you to the story it's still bringing yeah. you into this world what fucking difference does it make and it it isn't until we have the ability <laughs> to do what we're doing it isn't until you have the ability to like scan these things online and fucking like scrub through them and go like you know blah, 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 blah. it's like come on it's, it's supposed to make you feel a certain way. And one of the reasons why you're not feeling that way is because you're not seeing it in the fucking theater. So if you mm. go and you see it in the fucking theater and you have no control over it and you're believing in the suspension of disbelief, then you're probably going to fucking dig it. So I love the fact that you like it, that it's a miniature. And when I make movies, I'm going to use fucking miniatures. I'm going to use Good. miniatures. I'm going to use puppets. I don't give a fuck. Like it, whatever it is that makes you feel scared or whatever it is that makes you feel like this it's not the shitty world that you currently live in and that you're not locked in your home for fucking quarantine you didn't get fired from your fucking job for like two hours you're actually able to believe like me and harrison ford are having noodles in the fucking future 
Oh, it always goes back to those noodles, baby. Yeah, dude. You know? <laughs> but but you're right, man. And I do believe in the importance of distraction. Um, and you know, a lot of people want to do turn their po- their movie podcast into something political. That's fine. You know, we try not to because we want to just offer just a complete distraction away from everything else and just have a good time. And I think that that is something that people don't realize how important that is. You know, these these things we I mean play video games, we watch movies, we do it to get the hell away from the real world because the real world right now and all last year was a freaking nightmare. So, you know, I God bless these movies that did come out and actually distracted us, you know, and yeah. thank God for them. So, hell and yeah. uh, and real quick with with The Crow, freaking Michael Wincott was such an amazing bad guy in that movie. Amazing. Top Dollar was awesome. I loved him so much. Amazing. 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 Yeah. And, and and my biggest gripe with Alien Resurrection, yes. uh, it wasn't a great movie, was that he died freaking so early. I'm like, how do you have Michael Wincott and not keep him around for most of the movie? Yeah, he's not going to survive. I know that. It's going to be Ripley. But come on. How do you not have Michael Wincott around more? It's such a weird movie, Alien Resurrection, because uh, the director of that, what's his name, did Amelie. He did yeah. City of Lost Children. He's yep. such a great director. That movie kind of fell flat. And... It's a Joss Whedon script, I think, for that movie. Uh, But the thing I liked about that film is the same thing I like about Blade 2, is that Mm -hmm. they do a really good job with the sort of superhero comic book team-up thing. So -hmm. there's like this team of like, of uh, what were they? They were mercenaries that they had to like make their way through the ship. I thought that was cool, but yeah, it fucking fell flat. Um, but by, by the way, I'm a huge fucking fan of Blade Two. I hate I Blade it. One and I hate Blade Three, but I love Blade Two to like no end, bro. Anytime. That's one of those movies popping in anytime, and you, I'll be sitting there watching it all the way through because up until all the Marvel stuff, those vampires in that movie, the the bad ones, the bad guys that he had to team up with, they looked so cool, and I love that Guillermo del Toro actually like leaned in and made them look like freaking superheroes. And up until then, I was like, no one ever did that. Like I was still looking like I'm still expecting not anymore, but at the time I was still expecting like say the Dolph Lundgren's Punisher movie. Whereas like the studio was like, we can't have him wear a skull in his chest. Why? Why why can't you have him wear a skull in his chest? Like that's so stupid. So I, it was like blade two was like, Oh my God, you can actually make this look like a comic book with costumes that look like a comic book. And now it's just everywhere, which is great. I, I love it. It is everywhere, but Guillermo does it with such a fucking flair. And Guillermo has, cause I just watched Hellboy two again recently, which I fucking love the creatures in that. Movie. Me too. Um, Guillermo's stuff is just so, he obviously has a love affair with monsters. So his monster designs are just amazing. And the prosthetic work that they do on his stuff is just amazing. Um, and he has such a good grasp on how to convey his tone correctly and how to convey his voice through his films that you just want Guillermo. You're just like, oh, it's a romantic comedy with two people, but Guillermo's directing it? Yeah, all right, cool, I'll watch that. You know, it's like, oh, there's an action movie with giant robots and giant monsters and Guillermo's doing it? All right, cool. Oh, it's this weird little fairy tale with a girl in fucking Mexico and he's doing that? All right, cool. It's because you want Guillermo. You just mm-hmm. want that guy. You know, and he always makes movies where, like we said earlier, Blade Runner, I want to live in his world. Like, just they visually look amazing, no matter how terrifying they are sometimes. So, fuck yeah, (laughs) fuck yeah, dude, fuck yeah, yeah. So, all right, buddy, 
Number one, my man. All right. So number one is the first scene that I thought of when we were talking about fight scenes in the rain. Uh, I have, many of your viewers or listeners may not have seen this film, may not know this film. Um, but if you are a fan of Tarantino, if you're a fan of true romance, when Christian Slater uh, takes Arquette on a date to the theater in True Romance, they're watching this movie on the screen. Mm. And this movie is Street Fighter, not based on the video game. Street Fighter with Sonny Chiba from, I think it was like 1978 or 75 or something. Uh, Sonny Chiba uh, was an amazing uh, kung fu action star. I think it was from Japan initially. If you watch uh, Kill Bill 2, where she goes to get the Hortari Hanzo sword, Sonny Chiba plays the sushi chef in that sequence. Tarantino has a love for Sonny Chiba. I found Sonny Chiba's movies because of Tarantino. I went back and watched a bunch of Grindhouse stuff. And there's this great film called Street Fighter. And in the end of this film, he has this epic fight. So Sonny Chiba plays this mercenary, essentially for hire gun, who has no loyalties to anybody. And his character is fucking great in the movie. He's such a piece of shit where you think he's rescuing someone. Turns out he's selling them to slavery. There's all this really fun shit that they do with this really sort of gray character. Um, but he finds a bit of conscience and he has to do this battle at the end of the movie. And he does this fight very similar to the Indiana Jones fight on this ship out in the water, rain, thunder, lightning. And he fights this epic guy in a sexy fight scene for that time period, which is not very sexy these days because there isn't a lot of speed ramping. There isn't a lot of that stuff. So it was all in performance, which is really cool. Um, and the bad guy's sister ends up trying to help the bad guy by grabbing onto Sonny Chiba and she attacks him with size. So like Raphael Ninja Turtle size. Yeah. yeah. So she attacks him with size. Uh, Sonny Chiba like breaks her arm or whatever and knocks him out and she grabs onto him and holds him to a staircase and she yells to the bad guy brother. She goes, stab me. And so the bad guy has to pick up the side and stab his sister to get to Sonny Chiba, stabs through his sister, and the fight continues. And the fight continues. The sister dies, Sonny Chiba's all fucked up, and the guy's gonna go give him his final blow, and Sonny Chiba reaches up, grabs him by his throat, and it's all practical, grabs him by his throat, and tears his fucking throat out. And it's the nice. coolest fight scene. I was had so much fun watching it last night that I posted it on my Instagram this morning, and I have it in my stories. And it blew my mind how many fucking people have never seen this movie. Uh, have you seen this movie? So it's funny. I I have not. So I have not. But because I love true romance, I that's one of my favorite. It's actually my favorite Tarantino movie, even though he didn't direct it. Yep. Um, because I love it. And Tarantino was our freaking was my Wikipedia back in the day to kind of inform me of things. I followed that track. I followed the the Sonny Shiba Street Fighter track, but weirdly I didn't hit Street Fighter. And then I kind of like eventually made my way to Chayun Fat is basically where I sort of landed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was probably just due to availability because mm -hmm. back in the day to try to see those movies, you would usually have to go to a comic book convention and uh, and find one, find them on you know basically uh, bootleg on VHS back and down in the dealer area. And I think I went with the intention of getting 
being Street Fighter, wound up, I think, getting like hard boiled instead mm-hmm. because they were showing off the the shooting on the you know the, the opening scene, and uh, and then you know freaking young impressionable Corey went off to smoke cigarettes for twenty years because <laughs> of Chow Yun Fat. Chow Yun Fat was one of my idols huge. growing up, huge. <laughs> huge fan of him. Um, but sadly, I did start smoking cigarettes because of him, uh, and I do believe that you know sometimes we shouldn't have people smoke cigarettes in like kids movies and stuff even though smoking cigarettes is one of the coolest cinematic things you can possibly do sure uh but so weirdly i know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. um and i love true romance and i've always wanted to see street fighter but i didn't get there and i got to chayenne fat instead but it was because of tarantino's love for these these movies and stuff totally i give him all the credit for 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 introducing me to them as well and when i found this I ended up buying it on a weird DVD, and now I think you can find it on some strange uh, streaming services. You could, you could definitely see scenes online. Um, but when I popped it in, I was so incredibly surprised by it, um, to the point where I used to do uh, a film club back in Boston for all my buddies and my filmmaking pals. We had this thing called Subcult Cinema, and we would show these movies. And so I screened this film for an audience of, of folks that were just cheering at it. It's just such a raw, it's even more raw than Enter the Dragon. And everybody loves Enter the Dragon. And he, yeah. like like Bruce Lee was there and Sonny Chiba was here. And, and Sonny Chiba, he didn't have the same sort of like physical prowess that um, Bruce Lee had, but he just had this, this comedy, this humor about him and this ability to command the scene. And, and you can watch his films after that, like Gogo 13, or uh, he is in a really great Arrow DVD release called uh, Werewolf Man or Werewolf Guy, which is fucking weird. It's a, <laughs> it's a fun fucking movie. Um, he's so fucking amazing. Sonny Chiba is such a great actor and, and like he doesn't get enough respect out here. And for those of you listening, I knew that this would be a, a flick that a lot of you guys haven't seen. Find it. Um, yeah. It's definitely on streaming services. If you can't find it on a streaming service, go on Amazon and buy it on fucking Blu-ray. You're not going to regret it. And do yourself a favor. Watch it with your friends. Like, watch it. If this is the first movie that you guys get together to watch after quarantine, this is the fucking movie to watch. And I'm not hyping it up at the level. This isn't a fucking Marvel movie. There aren't special effects in it. Although there's some pretty cool in-camera special effects that all the video games ripped off afterwards that are in this movie. Um, (laughs) But it is such a fun fucking movie experience. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to fall in love with Sonny Chiba and you're going to want to dig through his catalog of shit because like you did with Chow Yun-Fat, like I did with Chow Yun-Fat, with John Woo and falling in love with all that shit, Chiba's right up there, man. He's he's the fucking man. And and, and this is why I love doing the watch list because it reminds me of movies. I'm like, Oh yeah. Why didn't I didn't add that one to my, to my list. I need to go and uh, rewatch that. And I'm, I'm ready for it because I did just, uh, I think it was last week. I did just watch for the first time, uh, pray for death with show Kasugi, uh, 1985, I believe, which was a lot of fun. So it was like a ninja movie and it's you know, not the same as, as Sonny Chiba, but, uh, uh ninja movies I always kind of loved too. So yeah, I'm yeah. kind of in like, I'm kind of in a martial arts mood, right? right now so this is this perfect timing so well you know there's Um, something really funny about like finding movies i love finding movies that i've never saw from the 80s like i just watched pulse the other night i'd never seen pulse before and i was just like where the fuck has this movie been it is kind of trashy but i still was just like ah thankfully 
It's a new movie that I haven't seen from the 80s. Okay, great. Uh, I did the same thing uh, two nights ago, uh, Sunday night, actually. I watched um, Hard Ticket to Hawaii for the very first time. <laughs> and that was fun. <laughs> that was fun for quite a few reasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my number one, um, uh, you know, people probably hit or miss on this movie. Okay. Growing up, uh, I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater when I was five years old. It was it launched my love affair with Boba Fett my entire life. There is nothing that I love more than Boba Fett and read all the comics, everything, yada, yada, yada. But we all know we never really got to see him do jack shit in the movies, right? Looks cool as shit, but he doesn't doesn't do jack shit Mm -hmm. until Attack of the Clones came along and we could sort of see what Boba Fett could do a la Jango Fett and that fight scene between him and Obi-Wan in the rain is not only one of my favorite Star Wars scenes it's one of like just my favorite scenes of all time it is my favorite fight scene in the rain uh I think Jango Fett looks amazing in the rain I think the choreography was really good and Lucas is not that good when it comes with the sort of the fighting choreography Mm -hmm. but here I thought it actually was pretty well done. It's short. It's it's quick. I think nowadays, if, if he was to make that movie now, I think that scene would be a lot longer. But for what it was, I loved it then. And every time I watch it now, I still love it. I could just pop that one micro scene on and just watch it. And I love everything to the point where like, I told my wife, like, whenever we get a dog, I'm going to name the dog Boba just so I can say, <laughs> Boba, get on board. You know, like, it just I can't. I loved, and I love Django. I actually, as someone who loves Boba Fett, I really like Django Fett too. I loved his color palette. I loved the way the costume looked. Um, I'm a huge armor file. Uh, so I love Loved how he had like those shin pads on his armor and stuff. I was like, that's tight. That's really cool looking. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like I said, you know, whatever people think of Attack of the Clones, I personally enjoy the prequels more so now because of the Clone Wars cartoons. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of expanded it so much where I actually now. I mean, I've talked to my wife now. I mean, she, she's a huge Star Wars fan too. And I'm like. I actually love the prequel era the same as I love the OT era, and but I do view the movies as supplemental to the cartoons. Yeah. Um, so I, I do give most of that credit to Dave Filoni for for my love of the prequels. But yeah, Jango Fett versus Obi Wan in the rain, fucking love that fight, man. It's great. I I definitely considered that for the list because I agree with you. I think that I was not one of those guys that was was shaming Lucas for the fucking prequels even when they came out. I like I thought I always thought that that was kind of mean of the fans to be that shitty. And, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the world that you create, Lucas, where you're building toys for kids. So like the, at the end of the day, um, I love the movie. I thought that movie was really great. I love uh, the, uh, the the third one there. What was it? Uh, Revenge of the Re- Sith. Right. Yeah. yeah Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith. And I love the Obi-Wan driving riding around on the fucking uh on the uh, lizard. <laughs> lizard thing. Super cool. Like all that stuff is really great. Um, and I agree with you. I think the best stuff that I've had for star Wars and the stuff that I've enjoyed the most is the clone wars animated show. I think that by far really sort of blew up the universe. Let us live in the universe a bit. Let us live with the characters. I liked how serialized it was. Um, and you know, moving into like, when, when the Mandalorian came out, when it first came out, I was just like, why the fuck isn't this Boba Fett? 
Like I like like initially I was like, what the fuck? Why isn't this what we want it to be? And in the beginning, when they started the first season of Mandalorian, it was like, oh, he's the most badass fucking bounty hunter in the galaxy right now. We're gonna see him be a badass. And then all of a sudden he was a softy. And then they're like fucking baby Yoda. And you're like, oh, god damn it. Why am I not getting the bounty hunter thing that I've always wanted? And uh, they've done such a good job of just pulling you along where you're like, okay, second season was better than the first season. Okay, and now they're going to do the Bubba Fett series. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe this is going to be it. <laughs> you're <laughs> always just waiting for that. Uh, it, and for us, we're old. So like dudes in our 40s, we come from a different time period. Like we've been talking about. Fucking Martin Riggs, fucking uh, John McClane. Uh, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. These characters that were hard, that were intense, that were uh, sheltering their emotions. And when they did pull out their emotions, it was a big moment. Um, and that doesn't, that really isn't copacetic anymore. So like <laughs> yeah. to, to want this, to bring this back, to want to get that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like John Wick so much is that John Wick felt like it was that felt like it was from that time period again and my hope and i got a glimmer of it when i watched the clone wars when that when you had that fight and my hope is that with the new bubba fett series like the book of bubba fett yeah let's just not fuck around let's not put yeah. any let's not put any kid shit in there let's do let's do what you did with the animated show uh maybe the bad batch because i just saw the ad for the bad batch yeah. maybe the bad batch is going to be really cool with that i'm I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I, I liked them in the last season of Clone Wars, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited for Bad Batch, man. I'm I like I'm liking what they're doing. Um, and then with like you said, I'm excited for Book of Boba. Man, oh man, did I love that his look now that like the. <sighs> Yeah. It's like a skirt thingy, I mean, it's, but it's not. It's like almost like a Tuscan Raider thing. But I liked the repainted armor. I was like, "Wow, that looks slick, man." Yeah, and that actor, what's his name, is fucking great. Yeah, he's. I, I love really how great. all this has worked out with, with like you know, he played Jango Fett, and like I don't love all the the tinkering that Lucas did with the original ones, and I don't, and I actually love the original Boba Fett's voice. You know, the original guy did it back in the day, mm -hmm. but it's nice that it's so consistent all the way through the series now that I can't even, I can't fault Lucas for that. It actually, I think it worked out pretty freaking well that they did that. Well, it's such a fascinating thing because his voice, right? His voice isn't associated with one character. His voice is associated <laughs> yeah. with how many different characters how many different personalities between all the different clone, uh, like fives, like all the different clone characters from the fucking animated show. It's his voice. His voice is uh, like associated with Bubba Fett. His voice is associated with Jango Fett. Um, so it's fucking rad. That's, there's something really interesting about that continuity that runs through this whole piece. And Look, Star I, like I loved Star Wars growing up as a kid, but I also loved like fucking you know Fraggle Rock, and I loved I loved yeah. the Muppets. You know what I mean? And so those things kind of all sort of were in the same boat for me. At yeah. that time, when everybody was kind of pumped about Star Wars, I was more pumped about Alien. So like, dude, like I was more like blood and guts and fucking shit than I was that. But what I do dig about Lucas is his ability to build universes, his mm -hmm. ability to build worlds and do it so thoughtfully that you want to go to a planet and just fucking kick around and you want to go like, how do these fucking, where do these aliens come from and what do they fucking do there? 
Um, and I love the fact that he doesn't care about the technology work, and he's like, "Oh, they'll figure it out. I don't care." Like it's not. I like. I like that it's not important to him, and I yeah. love that. I love when he's just like, "Ah, fuck it. I don't care," you know. And I love that as a filmmaker in him. I love George Lucas personally, dude. I think he's great. And when you look at him as an artist, and you look at his the origins of his career, and you look at the the advancements that him and Coppola did for the forward. industry for like sound. And like all that, like j just to imagine what a pain in the ass it was to get stereo sound back in the days. And these guys were uh, creating surround sound and these guys were creating stuff on tape. It's amazing. And and when you go back and watch THX, I fucking love THX. I think it's a great fucking movie. Um, like American Graffiti is a great movie. Uh, somewhere along the line, he just got caught up in this, this you know, you start a business, you have to keep that business. And for him yeah. to keep a lot of his businesses open, he's like, I got to fucking sell toys. I got to bring income. I have to be able to pay the, my staff. I have to be able to have the money to make the stuff that we want. Um, so there's two sides of it. You have this, the toy kids, which a lot of us are, where we grew up with that and and we were just, you know, deep into consumerism. Um, but then because of that, the advancements that we all paid for as kids with uh, CGI and sound making and, and movie making would never have happened if he wasn't selling toys and shit. So yeah. yeah. It's, and then all this stuff weird. that we see now that, you know, we love, I mean, e even the volume that they're shooting on in for Mandalorian, it's all coming from like advancements in tech that he pushed forward. And yeah, it, you know, yeah. Job of the Hutt looks terrible in the, in the special edition, you know, redo thing. But if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have gotten to the next step. We wouldn't have gotten the next step. And then now we're here and I'm so happy we're here. Like, I feel like we finally sort of made it. We're using puppets where we should use puppets. We're using, you know, fake CGI where we need to use CGI sometimes just to enhance the puppets. I, I like, we, you know, we as a society and a species had to put up with a shit ton of horrible CGI. <laughs> <laughs> you know to get to this point but it was necessary and when i think horrible cgi i think of movies like eraser with arnold schwarzenegger oh, where yeah. the the alligators at the end were you can't even watch that movie now like you can't even oh, watch it yeah that was with the rail guns right he had like yes. rail guns in that yeah 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 i mean cgi has had such a sh i mean it's look one of the reasons why when i started when i shot my first movies I'm like, I don't have the money for CGI. I'm not going to do CGI because you can't make mistakes in CGI. When you shoot practical stuff, if you shoot puppets, if you shoot things, most of the time you'll find something in a mistake. Like you'll be moving a camera and a, and a gaffer will be moving a light behind you. Go, whoa, 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 stop. Because there's something that's happening accidentally. You go, this is a shot. Put it on here. Blah, blah, blah. And there's some real organic stuff that happens to that. With CGI, you can't get that. CGI, it's like you have to change your business into a corporate business and you have meetings with multiple people that are sitting in front of computers all day and you're just like here's what my idea is and then they have to take that idea and process it and it's the workflow for cgi is a lot different than practical that being said cgi is amazing it's a tool it's not the end-all be-all it's not for quite some time it was the reason why they were putting you in the theater after jurassic park they're like this movie's got cgi in it go watch it and mm -hmm. that was the mistake. I think the mistake was using that as the sales pitch where it should have been, this movie's really cool. <laughs> Go watch yeah. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this, the story is fucking fascinating. Go watch it. And, uh, you know, James Cameron did it well, like Terminator two, right? Terminator yeah. two is a CG fucking movie. 
whole bad guy that is mostly CGI, but the story's fucking great. And the practical stuff that's in that movie, the miniatures, like I keep referencing the Linda Hamilton grabbing onto the fence, blowing apart from the fucking atomic blast. That scared the fuck out of me as kids. And that scared the fuck out of uh, our government <laughs> to the point yeah. where like people are like, AI, uh, have you seen Terminator? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's so well done. And he, you know, even though there was a push at that time for CGI and they're like, wow, this is a liquid creature. He didn't bank on that. He was just like, the shit I played with in the abyss, we'll play with it a little bit more here, but I'm also gonna use all these other tricks that I've known for years to make this movie really great. And that's why Terminator 2 is a better movie than Eraser, you know what I mean? Cause- I, of course, and, and and I think what one thing that makes it feel really good in Terminator 2 is the T-1000 feels like it would actually exist in this world. Like. It, there's it feels logical like that would be a logical progression it doesn't feel like oh we're just doing this so we can highlight this cgi thing or yeah. we're just doing this because we can do it like you've seen it so many times where filmmakers do something because they can here it's like i felt like oh it was just logical liquid metal robots yes it's this was already the logical progression and now we can do it and yes and i love james cameron dude i you know i tell everyone my, my tagline for ba- is basically star wars is like for me but aliens is my single favorite movie of all time and if i had to have a desert island movie it would actually be aliens aliens is a great movie aliens is a great movie and like michael bean uh sigourney weaver in that movie uh bill paxton bill paxton what's his name uh just shoot me there not just shoot me mad oh, about paul, you paul riser yeah, paul, yeah. Ma- ma- mad about you <laughs> Today's paul birthday, riser. by the way. Today was oh, no just shit. his birthday. No shit. <laughs> Uh, he's he's such a great piece of shit in that movie. Um, Bill Paxton. I've got such a hate relationship with Bill Paxton. I heard that. Bill I heard Paxton, you say that. You know, um, you know whatever. Uh, but yeah, dude. And then um, what's his name? Um, Bishop. Uh, yeah. Lance, Lance Henderson. Henderson. Mm-hmm. I, just yeah, picked, we... I just picked up uh, Marvel's. They just did a new Alien series on comics. And I just picked it up. And they were drawing him in that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'll probably get to that. I, I read back in the day, man. I used to read all the Dark Horse Aliens comics and whatnot. Um, and uh, we interviewed, you know, Va- uh, Vasquez, uh, Jeanette Goldstein, and we interviewed Fuck Mark yeah. Ralston. Uh, yeah. Both of them were so freaking awesome to talk to. And uh, the night, one of the greatest things in the world to me is that they're still friends in real life. So like really good <laughs> friends, which means that Vasquez and Drake are actually BFFs in real life, which is just fantastic <laughs> to me. <laughs> Those are great gets for the show, man. Those are great interviews. Vasquez, I always had a crush on her, man. Oh, after, me too. after Aliens, and then she was in uh, Predator Two, right? Yep. No, yep. uh, no, that was that was uh, she was in uh, Lethal Weapon Two. She got blown up on the. Uh, she was the one, the one that got blown up on the the diving board. Yeah, I think she was in Predator Two, though, wasn't she? She was like one of the cops in that. No, that was a. I, I forgot her name. Uh, um, that wasn't Vasquez. Yeah. No, um, hold on one second. It was a uh, uh, Maria Conchito Alonso. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, great, great movies, dude, and uh, great picks, by the way, man. Great fights in the rain. I want to go watch Street Fighter now. Absolutely, that is high priority on my list, and uh, I'm upset that I I missed it back in the day because I do think I would have enjoyed it. But I am happy that I that I landed You're on gonna, Chai dude, Yun Fat. Knowing you know? knowing what you like. 
you're gonna like it like it's nice a lot there's a lot of stuff that's dated from the 70s in it but like the character the humor uh and then the there's some fun fight sequences in that movie so yeah it's a good one I, and I, dude, I never mind like you know special effects or something from the set. That does ne- it never takes me out of the movie. I I want characters and I, more than anything. So I think it sounds really freaking awesome. So, Mike, thank you so much for this, man. It, this is one of our longest watch lists because <laughs> it was an absolute freaking joy to talk to you, my man. Um, please tell us again where we can find you. Uh, and guys and gals, I'll have every link in the show notes. You can go find Mike. You know, wherever he says, you can go find. But uh, it's it'll all be right there in the episode notes. But uh, if for people who are just in their car right now, where where can they find you, buddy? Um, well, first I got to say this has been a, a pure joy having this conversation. Um, Thanks, man. It's, it's always great to talk to another movie nerd about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get deeper into my world as far as uh, my rants and raves, and you want to hear me say fuck a lot on a show, <laughs> then you can uh, follow my podcast. So uh, it's called In Love with the Process. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. You can find that on any of the podcast delivery services, or you can go to my website, which is in love with the process.com. We're now a few hundred episodes in, so I know that could be daunting if you want to just go listen. What we've done on the website is we curate um, our podcast episodes based upon subject material. So I'll have all the directors that I've had on the show. I'll have uh, you know actors, musicians. We get into chefs. We like barbecue nerds. We talk about barbecuing and shit. So um, the show at one point started as a filmmaking show, but it's really just become the shit that I like. (laughs) It's really really what it is. It's, it's, I talk to people that I'm interested in hanging out with. Um, and so you could do that. Uh, follow me on, uh, Instagram at Mike Petchy. That's where I'm communicating with people. If you want to see any of my short films, um, the only way you could do so is if you write to me on Instagram. And like I said, you send me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, then I'll send you a link to my movie because they're not public. Um, but that's kind of it, dude. Dude. I mean, from, one content producer to another, my man. You're you're crushing it. So I I wish you nothing but the best of luck out there. And I I think I can't wait to see <laughs> the movie that you're gonna be uh, coming out with later in the year, uh, or hopefully you know uh, and everything. So dude, this is great, man. And uh, I hope everyone please go out there and check out Mike's stuff. He's he's rocking it. So thank you, Mike. And thank you for reminding me about Street Fighter, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, reminding me about. Uh fucking uh, cyborg i or, or, like i haven't seen that movie in fucking ages so this has been this has been very educational my girlfriend's going to be rolling her eyes because i'm going to make her sit through some of these movies after <laughs> yeah i'm gonna wait for my wife to be working when i watch uh, street fighter but uh <laughs> i hope you i hope your girlfriend enjoys cyborg <laughs> <laughs> awesome man all right all right guys we will catch you all next time on podcasting after dark see you Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.